0: What a joy to be together. This summer, uh, like everyone else, I was stressed out. Were you stressed out a little bit by what was going on in our world this year, this summer? I certainly was. Pastors get stressed out too, okay? Just want you to know that. And it was early in the pandemic, you know, earlier this summer. So, of course, we're waiting in line for toilet paper as a family like everyone else. Remember back then, you know, a couple months ago? feels like a couple years since then. Uh, we're trying to figure out, okay, so we bring the groceries home. Do we have to leave them outside? Like, what's the policy here on, you know, what's safe or not safe? We have a little baby at home. We're hoping not to get sick. You know, dealing with issues as a family is thinking about aging parents, loss of income, and our kids' school, is it going to be open in the fall? So we were stressed. And then, of course, everything going on in our country, right? The racial unrest and pain, what was going on in La Mesa. We're trying to figure out how to do online ministry as a church, doing, you know, all these different things. And it was just a lot to take in. And in the middle of all this, a period of illness hits our household. So my wife is sick, then I'm sick. and, And one day I... I I put my hand on my side, and I realized that I am in intense pain. And so we call our our teledoc, and, you know, we're kind of chatting with him over a remote video call, and he says, I am diagnosing you at 37 years old with stress-induced shingles. Uh, Oh, I I told you pastors get stressed out too. I'm okay now, by the way. So, but honestly, it was really painful, and... It was also kind of embarrassing. Just, I didn't really want to tell anybody about it. and uh, My wife ended up telling some friends who were very gracious and came over the next night. And so they, they baked just dessert. They have a lot going on in their lives. They didn't have time to do that and uh, they have their own drama and situations as well. But they came over. But they also brought me a treatment for nerve pain. And I was able to go through that treatment and apply that. And I was better within like 18 hours. It was an incredible turnaround. And, you know, it's just a little parable for us today because we are dealing with stress. We are dealing with anxiety. But I want to introduce you to that kind of friend, to the kind of person that wants to step into your life and provide you with a treatment plan for your stress and for your anxiety. Of course, I'm talking about the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. He wants to step into our life and provide us with the treatment plan we need for the anxiety of our day. Even before this whole COVID pandemic, our nation was in an epidemic. That epidemic was an epidemic of anxiety. And I don't need to tease out too many stats because I think we're all aware of this, but just to to note a few, you know, even bookstores like Barnes & Noble, Uh, The last several years have been noting huge percentage increases in sales of books on dealing with stress and anxiety. Medical news today saying, you know, one in five people, 40 million adults, have anxiety disorders. We're dealing with anxiety in our children. We're dealing with anxiety in our nation. Uh, One Newsweek headline said it this way, millennials, the most anxious generation ever. Thank you, Newsweek. And this was all before 2020. So enter 2020. Want to get away for a while? (laughs) Remember those ads? Um, Just this week, I I looked on the news just to search the term anxiety. This is what I found. New York Times, NPR, Boston Globe, USA Today, MSNBC.com. They all had above-the-fold articles on dealing with anxiety. Actually, one said that this this week on Election Day, 55% of Americans had an anxiety that was diagnosable. So not only have we been living in an age of anxiety, but this week we hit peak anxiety. So congratulations, America. Here we are. This is our anxious moment. And we deal with this on a day-to-day basis. Max Licato, in his book Anxious for Nothing, he describes anxiety as this, the, a result of perceived anxiety chaos and so for us as the people of God we've been praying and what we feel like God has been sharing with us is that the chaos of this year is actually only halfway done and so how can we prepare ourselves for the chaos that is to come how can we prepare ourselves for these turbulent times we, we need the prince of peace And we need to take hold of God's promise, like it says in Isaiah 26, that he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are set on him. Just like I had a friend that stepped into my life with a plan, with with a treatment to help me in my time of stress, I believe God wants to step into our world and give us a plan for peace. And this is God's plan for peace. God's plan for peace is to raise up peacemakers. God's plan for peace is to raise up peacemakers. The world today needs peaceful leaders more than ever before. More than ever before. Um, There's a rabbi in Washington, D.C. He wrote a number of books about our society and uh, one is called Failure of Nerve, and it's, it's kind of about leadership in this anxious age. And he notes different qualities that he discovered in leaders through their therapeutic work uh, and, and through just working in his synagogue. And this is what he, he said. One of the things that leaders need to have today, and the reason our, our culture in, in some ways is in a regression is because we don't have this. We need to be a non-anxious presence. Leaders need to have a non-anxious. Anxious presence. I love how the wind just went like when I said that. Um, I don't know if you've ever sat with someone who is a non anxious presence in your life. Those kind of people are actually rare, they're pretty hard to find. But that's the kind of leaders that God wants to raise up in this day to lead our nation into his victorious peace. Jesus said this in one of his most famous sermons, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So being a peacemaker is one of the qualities. It's one of the things that God says his children will be doing. They will be making peace. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, how to become a peacemaker. How to become a peacemaker. We're going to be looking at God's treatment plan on how he desires to train us as his people to be peacemakers in our society today. We're going to be looking at an unexpected story in Mark chapter 4. You can turn there together. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus leads his disciples into a stressful situation. We pick up the story in verse 35 after a long day of ministry. The disciples have been out. They've been healing people. They've probably been fe- feeding people. I'm sure they've been doing freedom ministry. Jesus has been teaching parables. It was a long day. And they they end up with this moment where Jesus is saying, okay, the day is ending. We're transitioning to our next ministry location. We're going to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 35, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So imagine yourself just for a minute as one of Jesus's disciples. It's been a long day of ministry. Jesus comes to you and he says, hey, we're gonna go on a sailing trip. I think, awesome, if this was a mission trip, this would be like the free day. This would be the fun day. You know, the day you're, you're getting to hang out and experience the culture, have some good food. This is kind of your moment to hang out with your team. And I actually looked up this sailing trip that they went on, on the Sea of Galilee. You can actually book it today if you go to shalomisraeltours.com. This is a real thing. And I have a picture of what it might look like um, on that trip um, to, to, to Jerusalem you could take and to, to Israel. So it's is a pretty nice scene. Beautiful lake some mountains behind you. Maybe there's some olive groves or wineries out there. I don't know. I think this would be a pretty enjoyable trip. So this is what the disciples are anticipating. And also, the disciples, several of them were seafaring people. So they're used to being on boats, unwinding, fishing. This is not like a new thing for them. And I imagine there was something they were looking forward to. At least it was resting. But they get led into a storm. And maybe this was your experience in 2020. You had plans for your year. You had vacations you wanted to go on. You had ideas about education, or you had ideas about your career, or something that was gonna happen to your family that was gonna be exciting and and just contribute to your well-being. And instead, like me, you found yourself in the middle of a storm. In the middle of a storm that God was maturing you and preparing you to hold on to his prevailing word. Verse 37, here comes the storm. And a great windstorm arose. Some translations say tempest. I think that's a cooler word. And a great tempest arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, I don't know if you have much experience on boats, but here's the basic idea of boats. Water stays outside the boat. You stay in the boat. When water comes into the boat, that's not a good thing. So the disciples are realizing This is no longer a rest (laughs) day. This is now a fight for our survival. But here, actually, we're going to see the first quality of how to become a peacemaker. It's counterintuitive. Peacemakers sail into storms. Peacemakers sail into storms. As I was writing this message, you know, I really had to dig deep into this concept of becoming a peacemaker because it can be so misinterpreted. I, I, I didn't want to be one of those people like in the Old Testament that say, hey, there's peace when there is no peace because obviously there's a lot of conflict in our world. There's, there's relational conflict and, and there's very real conflict in, in, in our nation, economic, moral, health-related issues. There's, there's things at stake. So w- what am I saying? Well, first of all, I'm not saying that all Christians are called to be pacifists. That's not what being a peacemaker is. And I'm also saying we're not all called to be idealists and just kind of close our eyes and and hum and sing and hope that the world gets better. The whole idea behind being a peacemaker is peace has to be made. Peace has to be made. So so Christians actually are called to step into storms. When there's a storm without a Christian, the storm is just going to get worse. God calls peacemakers to sail into storms peacemakers are storm chasers they don't avoid the hard things in life but they step into them with the prince of peace we learn this from a very young age on the preschool playground any parents out there ever heard of playground politics it's a real thing sometimes even more divisive than the 2020 election these playground politics actually i have a kid this year and, and he's dealing with some real challenges at his school with a tough relationship. And he's having to work those things through. There's been hard things that have happened. There's been hurt feelings. There's been some injustices. And as a parent, I've actually felt this come up with me. Like, how, how do I help my child in this situation? I, I've noticed, okay, first of all, I could try to step in and fix it for him. Well, if I do that, he's not going to learn anything. Okay, well, I could, I, I, I could, you know, train him to, to be a fighter, and we'll just make this into a big conflict. I don't know if that's the, really the way we want to go in school this year. So there's all of these dynamics, and, and then I realized, oh, God is actually allowing this storm in his life to teach him how to reconcile with someone else. And so we're working on empathy and resilience and seeing something from the other person's perspective and praying for our enemy and pressing in. This starts from the earliest age. Do we avoid conflictual situations or do we step in with the Prince of Peace? I think in America, we've confused the idea of peace and tranquility. I have the definition of tranquility on the board for you to look at there. Tranquility, basically a total state of calm without any drama or imperfection. It's that perfect vacation, you know, in the middle of the football game that they advertise that you see go across the screen. And you're like, wow, that this looks absolutely serene. There's no crying children. Somehow the vacation was free, you know, and uh, no, there's no one having to watch the dog back home, you know, whatever your situation is. Uh, it's this perfectly serene circumstance and sure, we have tranquil moments in life and times we can just kind of relax and rest. But, but for the most part, true biblical peace has to be made. We have to step into storms with Jesus. And this really fits the bill for the biblical definition of peace. When we look at the Old Testament, it's that Hebrew word, shalom. It's that Hebrew word, shalom. It, it has several dimensions to it. The first dimension is peace with God. You know, if if you read the Old Testament, what you see is there actually had to be peace offerings. Peace was only possible when blood was spilled. So Jesus was the peacemaker on our behalf. He took the sin sacrifice that we were supposed to have and put it in himself on the cross so we could be made right with God. And then, of course, there's, there's peace with ourselves, right? Like, how do we deal with our insomnia, our anxiety, our, just the needs that we have just to be at rest as an individual? Then after we have conquered and walked through those things, we are prepared to have peace with the world around us. You can think about it as three concentric circles. You know, there's, there's peace within, peace with God, peace with ourselves and with our core relationships. And as we gain momentum... In God's peace, we are prepared to bring His peace to the world. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, plans or proposals for peace, they start in the opposite way. So let's get everybody in the world together, get them all on the same page, and then we'll have peace. Well, that doesn't transform anyone's heart, does it? No. There's not going to be a, a breakthrough in peace unless there's a spiritual transformation. Okay, so uh, verse 38 but he was in the stern, so this is speaking of Jesus. Okay, they're in the storm, and now, okay, where is Jesus in the storm? The, the water uh, is filling the boat. Verse 38, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Here's the next attribute, attribute of a peacemaker. Peacemakers speak... Into storms. Peacemakers speak into storms. I find this whole story very peculiar. First of all, Jesus is sleeping. Then, when Jesus is awoken to deal with the storm, notice what he does. He doesn't read a psalm, right? He doesn't even pray to the Father about the storm. I mean, what's it say? He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wind. That word "wind" it's a very specific word, and actually in the ancient world, it was the word used for the four winds of the ancient world that people would worship. they would uh, the idolatrous worship about these winds. Sailors would worship them so that you know everything would go well in their favor on a journey. And I think Jesus is giving us a clue here because air isn't something you typically rebuke. He's showing us that our natural storms have spiritual dimensions to them sometimes our natural storms have a spiritual origin so then after he rebukes the air showing us that there's spiritual forces at work then jesus speaks to the sea now we can kind of sanitize the bible sometimes this is a little crazy like the water is coming into the boat Jesus speaks to the sea. I don't know if you've ever been down on the pier at Ocean Beach and just watched people yell at the sea. Okay, this is, this is that kind of scenario. Jesus speaks to the sea and he says, Peace, be still. Just another minor word study. That word be still, it's actually a word related to sound. It literally means peace, be muzzled, be quiet. So peacemakers know that peace is first won through spiritual battles. Peace is first won through spiritual battles. And Jesus is showing us that the storm around the disciples has spiritual origins and requires a spiritual solution. Okay, so let's look at the, the, one of the things he says here, be muzzled. So one thing that can affect us if we want to be peacemakers are the sounds and the voices around us as believers. This is what happened to Gideon. God God was trying to call Gideon. So he sent a prophet, the book of Judges. the, The prophet was ignored. So then he sends an angel. And Gideon starts to kind of argue with this angel about whether he's called from God or not. And he says this, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders the ancestors told us? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Midian. But, if, why, where, but. You see the negative thinking that Gideon is dealing with? The beliefs about himself? There are some things in his life that needed to be quieted and be muzzled. It's been a great spiritual principle I've put in my life the last couple weeks. I've been on an email Unsubscribe spree. It's been awesome. Thank you for not unsubscribing to our church emails, by the way. I've been on an email unsubscribe spree. And you know what? About the first five emails I did it to, I felt a twinge of just like regret or stress. I remember I got this email from Madewell, a cold clothing company. I thought, well, what if they have a sale on men's jeans and I don't know about it? Like, you know, I was thinking about, what if, I, what if I don't have this even? No, unsubscribe. I started to exercise that muscle. I have been loving unsubscribing from things. It has been absolutely wonderful. Sometimes there are voices in our mind or in our life that we need to unsubscribe to. Sometimes there's toxic relationships in our life that we need to unsubscribe to. Peace unsubscribe peace, be still. We need to take authority over the voices around us and what we let into our heart and to our minds. Jesus said it this way in another parable. He said, be careful then how you listen. It matters what we listen to. It matters what we around allow us. So that's, that's what comes into us. What about what leaves us? What about the words we say? Well, obviously our words are very significant. The Bible says that life and death are the power of the tongue. Jesus stills this whole storm with his words. And this is something that's really concerned me this year. Just as a, as a brother in the body of Christ, as a pastor, as a leader, are the amount of things I am seeing on social media that I just don't think are helpful. And I've really been praying about it. God, what, what is a better route? forward on social media? What is a better way for people to to step into discussions and and really represent you and and speak life into situations and to disciple people and to raise up prayer and to do all the positive things that social media can do? I'm not down on social media, but, but as I was praying about it, this is what I felt like God told me. And I just want to share this with you as maybe a proposed ethic for our social media as a community. It's really easy to remember. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Okay, so what do I mean when I say don't be dumb? I have a little acronym for you here. Don't be dumb on social media. Okay, so here's the D, debate. Now, I don't know about you, I have never met a single person whose mind has been changed on social media, right? Nervous laughter spreads through the crowd. Don't worry, everyone will be offended. Okay, so um, it... it it just doesn't change people's minds it's fine to share your viewpoint but getting into to tab- i mean we just sometimes you just have to laugh right i see different family members they say things to each other and it's it's just nonproductive conflict it's not going to move relationships forward in any kind of substantial way it's not peacemaking uh, you unkind speech there's a time for everything and and you know sometimes in life we have to call a spade a spade but There are just ways to do that, and I want to propose to all of us as a culture that social media is not getting us where we need to go on unkind speech, right? We have the power to disciple nations. We have the power to build things up with our words. We have the power to heal and transform and disciple, and I think we need to be thinking about the tone and the way we address these kinds of conversations in our online lives. Okay, M, misinformation. This is a big one. I just want to encourage you, and I don't know the exact way to do this, but please, just fact check or think through stuff before you repost it. Um, you know, social media is a global game. And so there's been all this research that has been done about how there are actually other foreign governments that put in stories to look like American news stories on social media because there's people trying to destabilize our nation. But recently, um, Wired Magazine had this one. Um, there, there was an influencer on social media, influencer, okay, that was making $35,000 a month through, through her social media influence. And they did a study to try to find this person. You know what they realized? It wasn't even a real person. She was artificial intelligence. I don't know if your mom ever told you this, but don't believe everything you read. <laughs> right? There's a lot of misinformation out there on social media. So just be careful, you know? Christians are people of the truth. And B, bullying. Obviously, it goes without saying, but it worked with the B, with the dumb analogy. So, let's not bully each other, name call, uh, you know, use pejorative terms to describe different people that believe different things than us. This, we have an opportunity to be an uplifting community on social media. Amen? Let's do that. Let's do that together. Doesn't mean you can't speak your mind, but we don't have to be dumb. Okay. Physics. This idea of speaking into storms is confirmed in physics. It's kind of cool. I did some research on that this week and I found that weather is actually measured by sound. That's why we have the Doppler radar. Tracks, tracks storms using sound waves and this is what they found. Sound waves actually have a heat signature that's attached to them that affects the weather. So just to take that a step further, spiritually what does that mean about us as believers, and the opportunity that we have to shape the world around us with our speech? Amen. Amen. I was I, I uh, had coffee with a friend this week, and he was sharing this principle with me. At the beginning of this year, he and his wife found out they had over a hundred thousand dollars of medical debt. They had an emergency in their family; they weren't prepared for it, and they just found themselves in a really tough spot. And They've just been, okay, God, what do we do? And they felt like God just said, hey, you need to speak into this situation. You need to speak life over your finances. You need to believe me for provision. I'm your Jehovah Jireh. I'm going to provide for you. And so he and his wife did something unconventional. Of course, they researched and they worked hard. But they also, one night, they put all the medical bills on the floor of their house and put their hands on them and just said, God, you are our provider. We speak this over these bills. We speak this over this mountain of debt. There was also credit card debt they were dealing with. I mean, they were just, they were under it because of this medical situation. Did you know that after they did that, 12 hours later, they got a phone call saying that debt had been canceled? There's power when we speak into our storms because there's power in our words. I don't think as believers we actually fully understand the power that our words have to bring life and to raise people up and to transform the world around us. You know, the, the fact that our storms have um, spiritual, spiritual origins I think is important to remember. And it's good to gather. It's good to rally. But I, I think that's also why violence is never the answer. That's why we want to be peacemakers that address the spiritual cause of the situations in our society. Amen? All right. Peacemakers shape the outcome of storms. That's my next point. Peacemakers shape the outcome of their storms. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay, so now the story is becoming even more counterintuitive. We got the disciples. They're thinking it's going to be a rest day. Now they're in a storm. Now they wake Jesus up. Now Jesus rebuking the storm. But Jesus kind of does what we think he'll do. He stops the storm. You know, then we're thinking end of story, right? This is one of Jesus's miracles. But What's interesting is after Jesus rebukes the storm, I don't know if you caught this, he rebukes the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus is like, hey, you're in the second year of my school of transformation. Don't you have storm shaping figured out yet? Jesus actually had an expectation that his disciples would know how to handle a storm. We see this later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends his disciples out. Okay, what happens? He says, whatever house you enter, he's giving them some instructions. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. There's a big implication there that Christians have peace to give away. I can remember moving out of a rental property a number of years ago, and the next tenant was coming in to kind of check out the property. And so all of our furniture was gone, but for whatever reason, we needed to let them in. And so we were there meeting them, and they were just going to do some measurements. And all of our stuff is out of the house, and this woman walks in, and, and she, she looks at us and says, wow, you guys must be Christians. I said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, look down, I'm not wearing a World Mandate t-shirt, you know. She says, I feel an overwhelming peace when I enter this home. Now, my home isn't always like that, but that day it was. And God, I think, it was reminding me, you have a peace to give away. You know, when I read this story, this might be a little bit of a harsh word, but when I read this story, this is what I see. I see myself as one of the disciples I see the boat as the American church being filled with water in a crisis, stressed out. I see the storm as 2020. And I think Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, do you have peace to give away? Are you wanting to become a peacemaker? You see, when when Egypt was going through a famine, God raised up a peacemaker named Joseph. When God's people needed righteousness and leadership in Babylon, he raised up a peacemaker named Daniel. When God's people were on the brink of total genocide and destruction, he raised up a peacemaker named Esther. When God wanted to propagate his message, the good news of the gospel throughout the Roman empire, he raised up a peacemaker named Paul. God's plan for peace is to raise up peacemakers. And he's raising up peacemakers today. Just this morning I got an email from a friend, uh, one of our global workers in the Middle East and who's saying, "Hey, I was actually just in contact with an Islamic scholar and she died." And she was resuscitated in a hospital. When she was resuscitated, this is what she said. A man in white came to me and said, will you you build a bridge between me and the people of Islam? God is raising up peacemakers. And I think God is waiting on us. I think sometimes we're going down into the stern of the boat. We're saying, Jesus, help us. Is there another adult around here that can help me solve my problems? And Jesus is saying, I have given you. authority to be a peacemaker. I think of it kind of like this parable I told my kids the other day, the parable of the coffee bean. What if our world was like a big pot of boiling water? And think just for a moment if you dropped an egg into that water. What would happen? The egg would get hard. You get a hard-boiled egg. That's what's going to happen to a lot of people at the end of this year. We're going to be a little bit harder. A little bit crustier, a little bit grumpier, a little bit more difficult to deal with, a little bit more perfectionistic and wanting things our way. You know, if, if the stress and trauma of this year was like a boiling of pot of water, some people might be like a carrot. What happens with a carrot when you dump it into a pot of water? It falls apart. A banana falls apart. Some of us are going to be like that. I mean, i felt like that certain times this year. I certainly have. But what happens when you put a coffee bean into a pot of boiling water? What is inside the coffee bean comes out, and it transforms the water around it into a glorious cup of coffee. Let me just leave you with that. You know, peacemakers shape the outcome of their storms. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 9, speaking of Jesus and his work in our lives of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. God has an unending peace for you, and he has an unending peace for me. Verse 41, this is the end of our passage here. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love it how the Bible asks that question. Who is this? And the Bible answers it. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, and he has a peace for you. And he has a piece for me. Let's all stand together.